Good morning, I'm George Baldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Superstorm Sandy ravaged large portions of the Northeast this week. A lot of people lost their homes right here in New York City, in places like Breezy Point and Staten Island. Thousands of people still don't have power. Even the city's only mainland borough, the Bronx, could not escape Sandy's fury. Storm surges flooded homes in low-lying neighborhoods, including City Island. Tony's Pier Restaurant, a popular eatery at the end of City Island Avenue, is in ruins following a fire that struck in the middle of the storm. Rob Burgos of Locust Point near the Throgs Neck Bridge came by to pay his respects to the establishment. Oh man, a lot of memories in this place. You know, you can get a nice cheap meal. It's a respectful crowd off season. You know, sometimes you don't have enough uh, money to sit down and have a, a, a more expensive meal. So we come here with the kids, the kids love it. You know, it's like a treat for them. And you know, I grew up coming to these places. When I was a kid, my mom and dad brought me here. It was a treat coming here. You buy, you know, good seafood, very, very inexpensive. But, um, you know, you look at this and uh, it's just a shame, just a shame. And, you know, you think of all those memories, think of all the people you met here, all the people you come here, you know, cheap drinks, cheap food, pretty decent crowd. You know, it's just, it touches my heart. People come from near and far, I understand. Yeah, you know, City Island is a little bit of a tourist attraction here. You know, this is the, this is the oldest nautical city in New York. So uh, it's, it's a special place for people who grew up and live in the Bronx. Very special place here. How did you weather the storm where you are? Uh, we uh, we hunkered down. We stood in the house. Uh, we got flooded all around. Locust Point gets flooded over the years, uh, but this was the this was the worst. Only been there a few years, but uh, you know I got to know some of my neighbors, and uh, they said this was the worst. This was the worst flooding. The water receded quickly, maybe before midnight, but uh, a lot of basements are flooded, like knee to waist high. In a Facebook message, Tony's Pier Restaurant said they plan to rebuild and will come back stronger and better than ever. Lynn McManus has been a resident of Throg's Neck her whole life and says this is the worst storm she's ever seen with water reaching waist height. Born and raised here. What was it like? It, it was the worst storm I've ever seen. It was really hairy. The water came all the way up to the, to the street. Over those houses, it was over. Yeah. Describe the damage. Uh, the damage, well, uh, inside the house, yeah. we have uh, mud. The water came from underneath, and we all have mud throughout our house. Uh, all our rugs are ruined. The floors are ruined. Furniture is, is almost ruined, but it's okay. Not so bad. We have lost the fence. They lost extensive over here. There's a seawall down. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Have you ever yeah. seen anything like it? Uh, no, never, never before. We went through uh, last year, Irene, was a piece of cake compared to this. This is heavy. What, what protections did you take? I mean, I would imagine you must have taken them. Yeah, we boarded up. We put everything away. But uh, we thought on the grass it would be safe, but the water passed the grass. So it went, as you saw, when you came down, everything, is, everything just got messed up through the grass. Because the water came practically up to the street. I saw you pulling out a whole pail. You're, you're cleaning up a lot of stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of stuff, and that's only a, an inch of it. We have a lot more to go. And anything that, you know, obviously that you wouldn't want gone that, that y you lost? Yeah, well, we lost our, our lawn furniture. You know, it's expensive for our lawn furniture. Our barbecues are gone. You know, the kayaks, we haven't assessed them yet. We haven't gotten to them yet. Actually, they're piled 
garbage is piled on top of the kayaks and they're all tied to the fence and that's the only reason why we still have them. Luckily they weren't tied to this fence because this fence went down. People don't know us in Throgsec. <laughs> We're in bad shape. Beach clubs got hit bad. If you want to go next door, look at Manham. It's really bad. Queens was also hit hard by Sandy. New York State Senator Tony Avella represents northeastern and eastern Queens, as well as part of southeastern Queens. He says the area has a very suburban feel for the big city. Senator Avella, thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure to be on the show again. First of all, let me get your opinion about this, because now we know that the New York City Marathon has been canceled for Sunday. <laughs> That's a good decision. It was foolhardy of the mayor to think that we could have the marathon when we still have hundreds of thousands of people without power in this city. We still have trees on, on people's houses. Um, we still have the devastation we're dealing with. To have, a, to have a public event like a marathon is just foolish, so that's good news. What is the situation in your area of Queens? Well, today was the first time I've actually seen some Con Ed crews in, in the neighborhood because I've been very critical for the past few days about the fact that Con Ed seemed to be directing all of its resources to Manhattan. Um, Queens and certainly the other boroughs deserve the same fair amount of resources. So we still have trees on people's houses. Um, we have trees that are down on the power lines, which are creating, in my opinion, the power outages. And I have tens of thousands of people in my district alone without power. Um, I have actually went out uh, the day after the storm and bought a, um, a chainsaw, and I've been going out with my staff, and we've been cutting down trees and clearing the roads and cutting limbs that block people's driveways and homes. Um, just today, I think the Parks Department is finally getting to, to that portion of it, clearing the roads um, and removing trees that block the streets. But there are still too many trees on power lines, and there are still too many trees on people's houses. And again, thousands of people without power. So largely tree damage in your district? It's largely tree damage and power outages at this point. Um, and, and the one thing that I'm Con Ed doesn't seem to understand, um, and again, they haven't reallocated the resources here that they need to, but Con Ed can never tell when somebody's without power. They don't have that sort of system. So they rely on people to call them that power is out. But somebody may call for an entire block, so but they still treat that person as only that person having no power. Does that kind so of system exist? When they say, when they say there's like 100,000 people without power, it's probably 10 times that number. Mm. But does that kind of system exist for utilities? Actually, they're doing a pilot program now where they'll be able to tell when power doesn't, you know, when somebody's not getting power. So they should have been faster to implement this policy, and they have to implement it for everybody in the city of New York. The second thing they have to do after the storm is over, they have to put the wires underground. Because the, the places in Queens where people did not lose power, it's where the power lines were underground. Where they're above ground, when you have this heavy wind due to um, a storm, that's when people lose power. Are you getting a lot of calls from constituents concerned about how long the power may be out? Oh, absolutely. And, and Cornhead. You know, I had a constituent call um, Cornette and say yesterday, 
Well, I live in Manhattan. How long is it going to take the power to be out? And they said four days. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I live in Queens. And then they said seven to ten days. It's unacceptable. We have a lot of seniors in Queens. We have a lot of people with young children. We have people who need the power for uh, health needs because they have a ventilator or other life-sustaining equipment. Con Ed is saying that this is an unprecedented storm. They're dealing with unprecedented outages, and they're doing the best job they possibly can. Not true. Um, because they've been allocating all the resources to Manhattan. Well, as you know, Maybe, as you know, yeah. Governor Cuomo has said that he is going to hold utilities accountable for their actions. And, and I thank him for that. The governor, I think, is doing the right thing to say, hey, you better do the right thing, otherwise we're going to you know, really come down on you. I think there should be an investigation by the Sub- Public Service Commission to find out why the resources weren't, where the resources were assigned, and why they only one, went to one borough. Can you call for those hearings in the Senate? Yes, I'm, I'm already going to do that. Do you have power, Senator? <laughs> I do, but three of my staff members do not, who only live five, members, five minutes away from me. Do you think that we will learn lessons from this storm, lessons that will actually yes. lead to better Yeah, we, we definitely will learn lessons, and we have to get better. I've been saying for a long time, and the governor just said it as well, the climate of this planet is changing. You know, you, we, we used to have you know this type of storm once in a couple hundred years. Now we have storms on much greater frequency. I mean, I can't remember ever growing up, and I'm a lifelong Queens resident, of ever having a tornado in the city of New York. Now we have tornadoes. I think we've had three or four in the last two years. Some minor, one major, which hit my district. We have to be prepared for greater calamities like this one, and we're really not. We're prepared for a minor storm. But these storms are going to increase in frequency and, and in the and in intensity. And we have to learn from this, from this and be better prepared. And there are a lot of things we're going to have to do differently. Well, Senator, I thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. That was New York State Senator Tony Avella on conditions in his Queens district. As I mentioned, the New York City Marathon has been canceled in the wake of Superstorm Sandy. The decision followed outcry from folks who said holding the event would be in poor taste with so many New Yorkers crippled by the storm. Mayor Bloomberg said the marathon would not have diverted resources from storm victims, but he didn't want the controversy to leave a dark cloud over the race or its participants. Michelle Cleary lives on Staten Island, where the race would have began. She had set up a Facebook page calling for the marathon to be called off. It received thousands and thousands of likes. I talked with Michelle after the news of the event's cancellation came down. I'm grateful. I think that's the the word I keep coming up with, is that I'm grateful because I know this was a really tough decision for uh, a lot of reasons. So I thank the politicians, I thank the organizers of the marathon, I thank the runners, and I thank the sponsors. Um, they listened to what needed to be said, and they and they really responded in such a great way to to do what it is that we wanted. Your Facebook page was on fire. You got more than forty thousand likes. I have. It's we're we're just. I think we're just at fifty thousand. Oh, is that right? This issue really hit home for a lot of people. They did not want to see this marathon happen this weekend. Yeah, a, a lot of people were um, were really upset by the decision to do it. Um, 
and there were a lot of reasons that it, it did a hit home. There were mixed. There were also a lot of there were a lot of people whose opinion was that they, that it should go on, and as I've been posting, I respect that opinion. I respect that this was not a cut and dry situation, but there was an overwhelming majority of people who just felt that it was um, not the proper use of resources and certainly not the right time. How much better does this make you feel inside? What went through your mind when you heard that it was not going to happen? I was, to be honest, quite shocked because I, you know, it's one. It's like when I did when I did the Facebook page on Wednesday. I I hoped for this response, but I don't know if I fully expected it. Um, and for this, I I hoped for this response, but I don't know if I fully expected it. But in, in answer to your question directly, what will really make what what do I really feel? I feel wholeheartedly that there was such an enormous effort put in by everybody, not just my Facebook page, but there was, I understand that there were lots of people expressing these concerns on the radio and on the TV. I would love this effort to go to helping the community, which is the exact reason why we needed this to be postponed or canceled. So I would be so overjoyed and, and, inspired by New York, even further than I already am, if all of the people did exactly what they said they were going to do and um, they found a way to help their community, whether it's through volunteering. I'm going to post as much um, good information as I can to get people to actually do that. You live on Staten Island. Staten Island, of course, very hard hit by Superstorm Mm -hmm. Sandy. Do you think the borough itself is breathing a sigh of relief now, knowing that you're not going to have all of those marathoners, all of that hoopla going on on Sunday? I think so. I think so. According to the opinions of the people that I've I've read, or many of the opinions, um, I think a a sigh of relief is a really good way to put it. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Michelle Cleary lives on Staten Island. She created a Facebook page calling for the cancellation of this weekend's marathon in light of the devastation caused by Superstorm Sandy, and she's happy the mayor decided to call it off. Days after Sandy, a lot of people are still without power or even a place to live. Emergency food and shelter organizations are scrambling to assist. Beth Shapiro is the executive director of City Meals on Wheels. Beth, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out. How has City Meals on Wheels responded to Sandy? City Meals has been delivering emergency food throughout the city, all five boroughs, to elderly New Yorkers. On a regular basis, City Meals on Wheels feeds almost 17,000 homebound elderly, people who are too old, frail, disabled to shop and cook for themselves. We are continuing to make sure they get the nourishment they need, but we are also providing emergency meals to seniors who are suffering through through the storm, particularly areas that have no power, making sure, you know, they get shelf stable food and water to keep them through this emergency. How much greater is the demand for you? We have served probably by the end of today 50,000 or nearly 50,000 emergency meals in the week. Compared to how many meals that you generally serve? 
Well, City Meals delivers weekend, holiday, and emergency meals. We partner with the city's Department for the Aging, and DIFTA um, delivers meals Monday through Friday. So on a given weekend, we do about 17,000 meals. So those 50,000 emergency meals are in addition to the daily meals that are going out anyway throughout the city. How much of a strain has the storm put on your resources? <laughs> Both financially and physically, we are tapped. I moved <laughs> into the office basically on Sunday. Our program staff has been here, I won't say 24 hours a day, that would be a lie, but easily 15. Our warehouse has been operational in Brooklyn nonstop since Friday, making sure we were packed and ready, had pre-delivered meals as well. Um, we have volunteers now helping us all over the city get meals out. And these are people not just, you know, walking into a building and handing a meal off, people who are climbing 10, 15, 25 stories in dark, you know, stairwells where there's no power to make sure meals are being delivered. So you guys really got ahead of this storm as best you could by preparing well in advance. We are prepared. Um Every year in the fall, typically October and early November, we do emergency food packages, big 12-meal, 20-pound boxes of food for New York's homebound elderly. It's really in preparation for a winter storm. Many of those had already gone out, and we had, you know, we knew the storm was coming. We said we're going to, we've got the, our regular three-meal boxes ready in what we had on the shelves. We had enough food to start packing, and we did. We got boxes out um, particularly in low-lying areas, areas that we thought would be hit, and then by Wednesday everywhere across the board in the city. What kinds of stories are you hearing from people in need? Uh, I've, I've been out delivering myself. I think on Tuesday I got a call from a man in Massachusetts that his 93-year-old mother is in a sixth-floor building on the east side, lower east side, and normally she is able to get out to the store and, and care for herself. There's no power in her building. At 93, she's not walking up and down six flights of stairs, and he was scared. He couldn't get here to help. So we delivered a case of water, a couple boxes of food, and, you know, she's, she's there. Obviously, she's not in comfortable conditions because she's got no power, but she's at least getting nourishment. I did what quite a few deliveries yesterday. I think I was on the eighth floor in a building of a woman who also does not typically get meals, but when she had called for help for her and a neighbor, and when we knocked on the door, her eyes just welled up with tears, and she said, you answered my call, and it just, it warms my heart, and she was in there. They had sunlight from the windows, but, you know, knowing it was going to be dark soon, her husband was there, um, frail, with oxygen, really unable to even make his way around the apartment, let alone down eight flights of stairs. That was not going to happen. And she had also called for her, a friend of hers in the building next door on the ninth floor, a 95-year-old blind woman. Uh, you know, they don't have other people to care for them right now. Is it typical for you, Beth, as the executive director of this organization to deliver meals, or does this speak to the sheer demand that you're dealing with? It's a little of both. I try at least every couple of months to get out and deliver meals, mostly for myself and for my soul and to remember why I'm here every day doing what I do. But I've been out a lot. Our entire staff, you know, we have 
a big major special event that we do in two weeks, but our special event team was out the other day up in uh, Upper Manhattan delivering meals. It's really been all hands on deck, and we're doing what needs to be done. Speaking of all hands on deck, are you still in need of volunteers? We right now are okay with volunteers. That may change at a moment's notice, but we're, it looks like we're secure at least through the weekend, and we're hopeful that next week we'll be, bring a change in the power situation. I will tell you we are in deep needs of funds. We have got to restock our warehouse to get ready for winter. And how do people go about finding out more about how they can help? Absolutely. You can look at citymeals.org, C-I-T-Y-M-E-A-L-S dot O-R-G, for more information to get involved with City Meals, from volunteering, donating, becoming a friendly visitor. What if someone is listening right now with that transistor radio stuck in their apartment and they need the help? What can they do? Hopefully they have a phone, and they can give us a call at 212-687-1234. We will get meals to them as quickly as we can. Beth, thanks so much. Thank you. Beth Shapiro is the executive director of City Meals on Wheels. Trained disaster workers at the American Red Cross are doing their part to assist storm victims. We have on the phone now Craig Cooper. He's a volunteer and national spokesman for the Red Cross. Craig's currently on Long Island. Craig, thanks for joining us on Cityscape. Thank you for having us on the program. So clearly a lot of work to do, huh? There really is. Uh, You know, we have been at this, obviously, since the beginning of the week. Uh, The Red Cross is very much on the ground, very much involved in in, uh, uh, supporting people, not only in shelters, which is what many people think about when they think about the Red Cross, but also going uh, into the communities now and providing food uh, in a couple of ways. And, you know, we're very proud of the response that we have. But as you said, we we know that there are many miles to travel. Uh, This is a a devastating disaster. And certainly, you know, as a Long Island person and and seeing it happen right here in my my hometown, so to speak, uh, I can tell you this is unprecedented. What are you seeing? What are you seeing when you're out there? Well, the destruction, you know, I I think at this point many of us are familiar with the destruction that you see when one of these storms goes through the Gulf or goes through an area where, you know, homes and beaches and and boardwalks are just completely torn apart. Um, I guess what makes it so sad up here is that it's such an uncommon thing, and I I hate to make it sound that, you know, that because it's uncommon it's more sad, but it's just so unexpected. And so the amount of destruction that I've seen, you know, homes and, and, and in many cases entire blocks just totally ripped apart. You know, businesses, uh, it's very, very sad to see, you know, because, you know, those of us that have lived in one place for a long time, you're seeing memories washed away in a sense. So it, it kind of adds to the heartache. The damage is so widespread on Long Island, in Brooklyn, in Queens. You know, how are you able to handle it all in such a wide area? Well, one of the beautiful things about the Red Cross is that it is a network of hundreds of thousands of disaster responders, volunteers as well as paid staff, uh, almost completely a volunteer organization. You know, more than 90% of us are volunteers. And and the reality is that we train for these type of things. Our network uh, is, is so extensive that we're able to pull people in from other parts of the country when a disaster gets, you know, so big that a local uh, Red Cross chapter uh, or partner chapters can't handle it. So, you know, from where I'm sitting right now, I'm in a uh, a park uh, down on the south shore of Long Island in a, in a town called Seaford, and we're using the park as a location for people to come to us for us to provide them with meals. Uh, the and we it's a no questions asked situation um, where they can come to us and they can say, you know, I I need seven meals to bring back to the to my house and my neighbors. But we are happy to provide them with whatever they need. 
So the question of, you know, how can the Red Cross handle all of it? Uh, the truth is we're not doing it all alone. You know, we're working with partner agencies uh, all over the place, and, and, and it would not be possible for the Red Cross to do this on our own. Um, but the beauty of our organization and its strength and its network is that, you know, I'm, I'm looking out by the window of my car right now at about 15 Red Cross volunteers and several Red Cross vehicles. And, you know, the marking on, on one vehicle is uh, South Carolina. The one next to it is Kentucky. The one next to it is Mississippi. These are crews that have driven to Long Island from those areas to help the folks here uh, in New York. While you're helping people with food and shelter, do you also help them to deal with the psychological trauma of what they went through? You know, I'm glad you asked that because it's a very important part of what the Red Cross does that many people don't realize. Uh, at every location where the Red Cross is providing services, whether it's a shelter, whether it's a, a, a mobile uh, program where we're providing uh, feeding or something like that, there are trained what we refer to as disaster mental health specialists. These might be social workers, psychologists, but they're people that, in addition to their own education, have gone through a Red Cross training program to learn how to deal with people that have... Uh, uh, experienced the disaster of one kind. Fortunately, here on Long Island, uh, the number of, of human casualties has been very low, and certainly any number at all is too many, and our hearts go out to those people. But we have people who are mental health disaster responders that are there to talk to people, uh, to look for the signs of, of uh, unusual stress in our shelters, uh, and, and just help people uh, in, in whatever way they need, whether it's just a matter of listening to a conversation uh, or perhaps seeking a, a higher level of involvement. I spent time the other day, Craig, reporting from Long Beach, Long Island, and okay. clearly there's a lot of devastation there, and the there conditions is. are very harsh. There's no lights. There's no water. You know, these people are going through a lot, but yet many of them are deciding to stay in their homes, you know, despite the harsh conditions, despite an evacuation order. It's hard, you know, on, on a personal level, not as a Red Cross person, but on a personal level, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to figure out the, 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 the motivation. Many people just want to protect their home. Many people, no matter what, if they have a bed to lay in, if they have a place where they can stay, they're just not going to go to uh, another location. Where are the shelters set up on Long Island for people who do need a place to stay? Uh, the shelters are spread all over Long Island. I apologize that I don't have the sheet in front of me, but there are eight locations between Nassau and Suffolk County. Uh, most of them are in uh, high school buildings uh, or in the Nassau Community College, which is the big uh, community college in that part of Long Island. Um, and, and they are, as I said, there are eight of them. Last night we hosted over 1,000 people. So the number at this point is stabilizing, and one of the concerns that we have is that the temperature is really beginning to plummet. And the, the forecast over the weekend uh, has the windshield right down around the freezing mark. So people that are in their homes with no heat, no electricity, no way to get warm, uh, we're concerned about them, and especially frail elderly and people you know, who are really going to react badly to that type of a drop in their body temperature for that amount of time. Let me ask you this question, because I know that the Red Cross does rely on the assistance of volunteers. I would imagine yes. this has to be a very challenging job for someone. Do you also help with their emotional needs? Uh, with the Red Cross volunteers' needs? Yeah, I would imagine it has Absolutely. to be very challenging. Yes. 
Yep. When, when people are on a Red Cross deployment, people that may come to Long Island from another part of the United States, um, or even those people locally that, that are, uh, you know, assigned to uh, participate in, in a disaster response, one of the things that happens during that is, you know, we, we keep an eye out for each other, number one. Uh, there are those same mental health people that are involved in, in reaching out to the communities. Those people are keeping an eye out on the Red Cross disaster responders as well. A very common part of the practice after people come home from a deployment, even if it's local, uh, is someone will reach out to them from our mental health staff and ask them if they'd like to just do a phone conversation and do a bit of a debriefing. How are you doing? What kind of things did you see? What were your experiences? And, and really just kind of let those people uh, empty a little bit to, to vent on some of those things that they may have shared with family members or friends, but being able to talk to someone else from the Red Cross just, you know, it, 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 it helps them to really get those things off their shoulders. What's one of the stories, Craig, that has stuck with you since all of this broke loose? Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that's happened in the last couple of days is we've transitioned to what we refer to as uh, these feeding sites where people will come to a park or uh, the parking lot of a, of a county office building where we can do feeding for them uh, and, and, and really help them to get a meal. Uh, yesterday morning I was uh, announcing the locations of these sites on a number of local radio stations, and at the same time I made a, a request for volunteers to come and help us. I drove up to one of the sites um, about an hour before we were scheduled to start serving food, and there was a line of people at that site, and my heart sank because uh, we weren't ready to start serving food. And I said to myself, oh, brother, these people are going to have to wait the better part of an hour before we can feed them, and, and they might be hungry. And it turned out when I got out of my car and walked over and, and introduced myself, those people were there to volunteer. They were people from our community that heard us talking about what it was that we were going to be doing, and they dropped whatever it was that was going on in their lives and came over to the Red Cross location to help their neighbors. And I just love telling that story because it's just so so powerful. And you know what? It's not, it's not specific to Long Island. Of course, there are stories like this all over the United States and all over the world you know, where people reach out and help their neighbors. But for me, that was a personal experience that was really a, a very meaningful one. Craig, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Craig Cooper is with the American Red Cross. To find out how you can help with Sandy relief efforts, go to WFUV.org Sandy. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer Morlene Chin and producer Julie Clark. Our thoughts are with all of those affected by this week's storm.